you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. If you're the observant type, you'll recognise that I'm in a slightly different position um, today as I'm recording this um, thought and reflection. Um, I'm sitting in a different chair, sitting in a different corner of the study, um, and behind me are my models, my Airfix models, some of which are going to be marking soon their 50th anniversary. Um, I made them many years ago when I was just a, just a nipper. Um, but I thought with a slightly different picture might be quite helpful to look at rather than just the one over there in the other corner. Difference is good. We can all become um, too familiar with what is normal and what is standard, what is static, what is safe, what is nice, what is secure. Um, that certainly isn't the case at the present time. We're under another three weeks of lockdown. And if you are listening and reflecting and reading and hearing comments and the media and everything else, you'll be aware that not only is the lockdown a major issue, but obviously how we get out of the lockdown and what kind of society we're going to have um, is up for debate. Whatever the case is, most commentators, most of us will agree, things will be different. Some of the differences already that we're experiencing are good differences. The air is cleaner because there's a lot less traffic and pollution. People, strangely enough, although there's social distancing, people are perhaps becoming more aware of their neighbours, of the importance of a community, of being part of a community, of somewhere to live. Families are having the opportunity to spend time together children with their parents, parents with their children. Um, the simple things of life can be more valued. The beauty of creation, the signs of new life and spring, all of that and so much more are good differences that people are experiencing and understanding and entering into. There's also other differences that perhaps are becoming more obvious. The differences within our society, even within our own community, between those who have and those who don't have. Those who lived on the borderline of managing and who now are having to rely on food banks and on various other forms of community help. Those who have lost their jobs, those who have no security in the future. And certainly the big question of the social and economic cost of this lockdown, well, whatever the answer to that question is, it's going to be different from the way the world is before. As Christians and as churches, so often we don't really like difference. We like things to be safe, to be secure, to be nice, to be static, things that we're familiar with. And yet surely the, at the very heart of the gospel, there is a message of radical difference. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ made a huge impact on people's lives. The world was never the same again. Hence the reason why we're gathered here this year of our Lord, 2020. Time almost was changed by those events in history. And yet so often we can lose sight of how radically different the death and resurrection of Jesus is meant to bring, not just to us personally, but to our understanding of our world, to our understanding of what's happening round about us. Can I read to you and I invite you to join with me some verses from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And these verses, the beginning of Matthew 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them 
and went away. And then, if you can in your Bibles, turn to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 54. In this context, Jesus is using similar words, but not just to the religious leaders here, but we're told to the crowd. And we read, Jesus said to the crowd, Luke 12, verse 54, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present age or present time. Jesus in Matthew's Gospel makes clear reference to the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? Well, already earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, he's spoken of the sign of Jonah. He said this to the, to, again, to the religious leaders who were highly skeptical of um, Jesus's teaching and were continually putting him under pressure. Jesus says this, he answers to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is obviously speaking about his death and resurrection. That is to be the defining and a radically different message that Jesus brings to people and to our world. The death and resurrection of Jesus stands at the very heart of our faith. We celebrate Easter, yes, but every Sunday we celebrate the risen Christ. Each Sunday is marking that great victory that Jesus Christ has won over sin and death. And of course, the New Testament makes much of the death and resurrection of Christ. Paul, that great apostle, speaks in his letter to the Corinthians about what an impact the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ had on so many people. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 15. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ made a radical difference to those disciples, to those early followers of the church. It changed them from people of fear to people of faith, to those who held back, to those who were willing to step forward, to those who had nothing to say, to those who had publicly proclaimed in the day of Pentecost and throughout the book of Acts that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was raised for our justification for us being put right with God. 
Paul picks up, of course, that great theme in his letters. He speaks of us having died with Christ, having been crucified with Christ, having been undead because of our sins, and then goes on to speak of us being made alive with Christ, being raised with Christ, being brought into a new relationship with God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Peter, someone who knew the radical difference that Jesus had made to him, someone who had failed Jesus in so many ways, had let Jesus down, and yet was that great apostle at the start of the church that proclaimed the good news of Christ, he testifies to the difference that the resurrection of Jesus makes when he writes in verses we've heard often from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us you birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The death and resurrection of Jesus, fundamental to the faith, fundamental difference that it brings. However, I'd like us this morning not just to dwell upon our own personal benefit that comes from that, however vital that is. I wouldn't want to take anything away from our personal salvation that's found through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I would suggest that Jesus and his teaching in these verses that I read earlier from the Gospels also wants to tell us that the death and resurrection of Jesus is to be the lens through which we understand not only our own personal faith and our own personal relationship with God, but how we view our world, how we understand the signs of the times, how we interpret what is happening round about us, both to the religious leaders and to the crowd in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke, Jesus challenges people to see things differently, to understand things differently, and to be able to understand our times with a God-centered perspective. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus are to be, as I say, that lens through which we understand not only our personal lives, but all that's happening, including all that's happening at the present time. Let me just very briefly, in three little points, suggest how it should make that impact. Firstly, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that lens, that focus, that fundamental difference that the gospel brings, that helps us to understand death in a new way. We're all familiar, unfortunately, daily hearing the death toll of the virus, of the COVID virus. Of course, people die daily. I was doing a funeral on Monday morning and for Isabel Martin, for her sister. And I was speaking to the funeral undertaker, and he said he was going to have a busy day. He had three funerals to do that day. And I said, was that to do with the virus? He said, oh, no. He said, that's just a Monday morning. Death happens all the time. Perhaps in our Western society, perhaps in the comfort and security and safety that in many ways we have within our society, the issue of death has been pushed to the side. It's hidden. It's not talked about in the way it certainly in past generations it was. We've been confronted with the frailty of human life in a way that we haven't been for a long time within our country or indeed within the West. Plenty of other people in the majority world have to face death day in and day out, and the awful consequences of humanity's cruelty and injustice towards one another that leads to often death and suffering. The resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus, helps us to view death in a new way. There are verses that I often read at a funeral service taken from the book of Ecclesiastes. They start, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born 
and a time to die. And that's true. And indeed, if you want later on to read Ecclesiastes 3, those verses, it goes on to speak about a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to break down and a time to build up, and it goes on like that. And interesting enough, all those verses, in a sense, speak of endings and new beginnings, things coming to an end, a natural order reminding us, the writer tells us, that actually as human beings, we are temporal, we are not eternal. Indeed, the, the writer goes on to say, after that catalogue of endings and new beginnings, the writer says, God has made everything in the way it had, the way it's been made, so that we might understand that eternity has been placed in the human heart. And he goes on to say, but no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He goes on to say, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. The whole concept of eternity, the whole concept of how temporal we are, all of that is built into creation, built into the endings and beginnings that are part of life. And this virus, this season of change, God can use and is using to make people think about temporal realities, about the time to be born and the time to die, but also of that eternity which he has set within our hearts and that God alone dwells within. So we need to see that the death and resurrection of Jesus has something to say into our current situation, and in our conversation, in our prayers, in the way we relate, the way we understand what is happening, that eternal perspective, that reality of the temporal state of human beings, we need to use that in our conversations and our prayers to point people and to direct people to God alone, who is eternal. But secondly, the death and resurrection of Jesus can perhaps help us to accept that there is a time for things to end and new things to begin. I don't mean in temporal life, that, that is there, that's true, we've just spoken about that. But I just mean in life in general. Look at Jesus, interesting enough, in Matthew's Gospel where he speaks to the leaders and speaks to them and challenges them about their inability to interpret the signs of the times. He goes on to speak of the fact that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Jesus knew that he had to have the ending of Good Friday in order that the new beginning of Easter Sunday could take place. Not that that was a nice journey. Not that, that what was going to happen was pleasant or, or a, 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 how would you say, an attractive option, but it was necessary. Things had to come to an end. Jesus must go to Jerusalem. As Christians and as a church, often we find that hard to take on board in practice. We like, once again, that which is familiar, that which is nice, that which is safe, that which we're used to. But can I suggest that the present circumstances, the, the times in which we live, God is using that to challenge us as Christians and as the church to accept that there is a time for change. Anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And yet so often within the life of the church, and indeed with our own perspective of faith, we like things to remain the same. We are told by those who speak about the wider economic and social circumstances that things aren't going to be the same in our country after this virus. I would suggest things can't be the same within the life of a church. Within our own congregation, perhaps some things will have come to an end, especially as we're thinking that there will be a whole section of congregations up and down our land who will continue to be under some form of self-isolation, those who are older, those who are vulnerable. 
that isolation is real, and we need to think creatively how we care for such people. But that can't be at the cost of not allowing others who are younger, who are beginning their life of faith, who are growing in their life of faith, to be able to continue to meet together and to explore what that means. Things will have to change. Things will be, have to be done differently. But the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ enables us to see that, yes, there is a time for things to end, and there also is a time for new beginnings. And that means, lastly, that means, lastly, that we have to think of what that means as we relate to our society. One of the big criticisms made against the church and against Christians is that simply the gospel simply makes nice people nicer. And let's be honest, that's often the case, especially within congregations like our own. But the gospel's far more than that. In the book of Acts, we're told that one of the main challenges given to the church by the authorities was that they were turning the world upside down. They were challenging the, the, the priorities, the understandings of that contemporary age and calling them into question, bringing them into the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, scrutinizing things in fresh ways. I hope and pray that as we venture into whatever exit strategy the government may have for our locked down economy, that as Christians and as a church, we will be able to bring a word from God into that. A word that will be radical. A word that, word that may well call for things to be different within our society. A word that will look at some of the very delicate issues that we're going to have to work through. Weighing up at what cost can we accept perhaps the illness continuing and people dying, but the economy getting back to some form of normality and people having a life. How, you know, how is that going to be balanced up? Christians should not be quiet in this. The church should not be quiet in this. We need to bring to bear these challenging issues, a word from God, a word that will make a radical difference, a word that will not always be nice or acceptable or comfortable or safe, but will be a word from God which now, as in the past, may well turn our society upside down. Can I finish by sharing or reflecting to you a message that was preached in Park Church way back in 1935. Um, one Sunday at the end of April, I think it was 1935, a gentleman by the name of John Mark, a journalist with a paper, a newspaper called the Glasgow Weekly Herald, visited Park Church. Some of you older members will be aware of that article that you wrote that was printed within our centenary booklet way back in the 1960s. And he speaks of the welcome of the congregation. He speaks positively of the good singing. It's not a new thing that Park Church was a congregation that liked good singing. But he speaks about the sermon that Mr. Murray, the minister at that time, spoke about. He says the sermon was concise, easily followed, and relied less on rhetoric than I had heard for a long time. A surprising sermon because it illustrated so clearly how effective simple language and sincerity can be. And then he quotes Mr. Murray, who started his sermon with this phrase, Safety first is a rotten motto for Christians. Can I say that again? Safety first is a rotten motto for Christians. And the journalist goes on to say, Mr. Murray, in that one direct sentence, conveyed more than a paragraph of rhetoric without ever making the directness cheap. That was a way back in 1935, using a phrase, safety first, which actually was a campaign slogan of one of the political parties in the country at that time. Safety first is a rotten motto for Christians. 
It wasn't safe for Jesus to go to Jerusalem, but he went. It wasn't safe for Jesus to be on that cross, but he endured it. It wasn't safe for the new disciples to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they did it, empowered by the Spirit, transformed by God's grace, raised to newness of life, yes, but it still wasn't safe. And I would suggest it's not safe for us necessarily today in our challenging, troublesome times to play it safe. We need to bear witness to the difference the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ makes to interpret the signs of the time and bring a word from God to our friends, to our family, and through the church to our society. That's the calling of the church today, as it's always been. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do thank you that the very heart of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your Son and our only Saviour. And we do thank you for what that means for us personally. We don't take that for granted. We thank you that through faith in Christ crucified and risen, we can have our sins forgiven and enter into your relationship with God, the one who alone is eternal and dwells in an unapproachable light. But yet, Lord, we also pray that you would guard us against so personalizing our faith, so making it me and Jesus, that we lose sight of that bigger picture, that we fail to understand that through that great event, the Christ event of history, you call us as your people to see through that and to understand through that things that are happening in our daily lives and in our world today, that we might be able to interpret the signs of the time in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We need your help in that. We ask, O Holy Spirit, that you would continue to give us the mind of Christ. We pray for courage to be able to accept, perhaps, that some things will come to an end in order that you things can begin, that you will give us that willingness in conversation, yes, perhaps at a social distance, but in conversation to bear witness to the eternal realities that now are confronting us afresh, eternal realities that for so long within our society we have chosen, so many have chosen to ignore. And that you will help us in this day and in this generation to be those who bear witness to the radical difference that God in Christ makes and how that impacts our life and our world. We thank you for the disciples who bore witness to Jesus, even although it was far from safe. We thank you for those down through the ages who have done so. We thank you this morning for those in other parts of the world who, faithful to Jesus, face death and persecution, and we commend them to you. We ask, O oh God, that in your mercy you would forgive us for our failings to be different for you, and that you would fill our lives with a fresh confidence that as you raised your son again from the grave and exalted him to the right hand of the throne above, so you will raise your people to unison of life in him. For faith, for fellowship, and for what stands at the very heart of our gospel, Jesus, crucified and risen, we give you thanks, O God, this day, in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.